Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. My guest today is the host of the podcast, Stemming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha, where she highlights minority women in science, technology, engineering, and math. She's an award-winning advocate, an educator, strategist, mechanical engineer, and an engaging and inspirational speaker. Dr. Tasha is the author of one of my grandkids' favorite books, The Engineering ABC, and You know, I'm inspired by her, and she holds me accountable every single week on the show we do together with Mary Cheney and Julia Rock called All Steamed Up with Mocha and Foam. You're going to love this show. Have a listen and share this episode with all your friends. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. And today I have with me a new friend and an esteemed colleague, Dr. Natasha Anderson. She is a educator. She is a passionate advocate for girls in STEM and women in STEM. She is an engineer and I have enjoyed so much the time that we've spent together. So she has an incredible story to share with us today about her path, her journey and her passion. Natasha, welcome to the show. Hi, and thank you for having me on. I can't even wait. For those people who don't know, I mean, I feel like I've known Karen for such a long time, and we literally just met maybe three months ago. But I feel like I've known you for a while. That's how I feel too. It's it's really been great. And and so we do our live show every Saturday, and that has just been a great opportunity of friends getting to know each other better. And we're just doing it live so everybody can join us. And I love that. So yeah, I just should mention it. Like it's all steamed up with mocha and foam (laughs) and we're on YouTube and Facebook. So yeah, just join us on Saturday. You'll get to know us right along with us getting to know each other. Saturday at 11 a.m. We want you on with us. You can put your comments in the comments line on YouTube or on Facebook. You can join in with us if you have a little bit of time to spend with us on Saturday mornings. We we are all about being real and authentic in our conversations around issues that we know firsthand about being women in STEM, women in tech. This is our world and we live in it. <laughs> so we like talking about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's been for sure. It's been real. Uh, last week was quite the the episode and I know you weren't able to be there, but, and tomorrow I'm not going to be there either for the show tomorrow. So, but at any rate, people, you need to get on here and watch this with us because it's, and, and join us in this and ask your questions because we do it live and we we do have room for questions. But that's not why I really wanted to talk to you today on the show. <laughs> so there's a, there's the shameless plug for our, for our live broadcast. But hey, you have written a book. It's Engineering ABC. Mm-hmm. My grandson, who is two, loves it. I want to see your book in every single household. It's such a refreshing change from barnyard animals <laughs> and stuff like that, you know, for in the books for children. This introduces and normalizes the concepts associated with engineering and ABCs, but I'm getting kind of ahead of myself. I'm adoring your book. I want you to talk about that. What got you as a woman, an engineer, you took that path to go into engineering and now you are using your expertise and your platform to bring young women and support young professionals in STEM fields. I really want you to share with us what was that path like for you as a woman of color and what was that path like for you that took you to this place where you're giving back to the community in such a huge way? That's the thing. That's the story. It's a windy, twisty road. <laughs> I wish I could say, you know, came out of the womb, knew I was going to be. No, nah, none of that happened. <laughs> that's not yeah. That's not how this works. But I will tell you that I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. There was a long time when I thought I knew I was going to be a teacher, right? I just knew it. But then somewhere along the lines, it started morphing into I didn't know what. Right. So I had my mother is a surgical technician. My dad was a mechanic. And so we had parents who, and I say we because there are four of us. I have three siblings. So we grew up with parents who were in, they were doing the backbreaking work. They were standing up all day. My dad was in, he worked for a freight hauling company for almost 30 years. And he had had this job since he was 18. And he was going to school at night at a technical college to get a degree in diesel mechanics. And my mom was in school getting a two-year associate's degree in surgical technology. So basically, for people who don't know what a surgical technician does, they are basically the person who's standing next to the doctors and the nurses handing them the instruments. So they are an integral part of what happens when you are in surgery. So that's their job. And so they're on it. So when the doctor says scissors or the doctor says scalpel, she's the one or he's the one who who's snapping the scalpel into his or her hands. So that's sort of my background. So I had these parents who were just immersed in doing what they were doing, but they were so liberal with telling us what it was like doing the jobs that they were doing to the point to where my dad's, the garage in our house was a garage. Like we would have race cars <laughs> and trucks and regular cars in our basement all the times. And, and we learned how to fix cars. We learned the parts of an engine. We learned how to take apart a, a transmission and put it back together. We learned how to know when there's something wrong with our cars. And that was a natural part of our lives. So when I said 
that I wanted to be a mechanical engineer once after finally figuring out what it was, what was the thing that was really calling to me. Like I liked to put my hands on stuff, but I also like to design and build stuff. That's still true to this day. Didn't know it was a real thing. Didn't know that that was a real job until maybe about my junior year in high school when I was exposed to it. And I was like, yes, that's the thing. My dad, outside of my siblings, was the only one who said, yeah, you can do this. And he was a proponent of just whatever you need, we're going to make sure you have it to do. But he also understood that because he kept saying to me, are you sure you want to do this? You know, you're going to be the only one. You know, you're going to be the only one. There's not going to be any, there's not going to be a lot of people who look like you. And boy, was he right. (laughs) Wow. Wow. He, I mean, he totally had his, his finger on the pulse of that. He knew what this was going to be like. Honestly, I don't know if he knew, knew, you know what I mean? But like, I don't, cause he wasn't in that world, but he understood it enough to say, this is going to be hard. And are you ready? And that's what I took from what he meant. But of course, you know, I'm 18. I don't know, know what he's talking about. Right. Cause then I'd been through things. So in the backstory, if we want to go even deeper, is that we moved from the city where there are lots of people who look like me to the country where there were a lot of people who looked like me. Our family moved into a neighborhood where we were the first people to integrate this neighborhood. We were the first people, my siblings and I were the first black kids to integrate the school, the elementary school. So we had experiences with racism and discrimination and prejudice at a really young age. And at the time, you know, like when you're going through a thing, you don't really know or understand like all of the things. And it's not until later on when we were, my siblings and I were discussing it, that we were like, wow, we went through a lot of stuff. (laughs) And so going to college and experiencing it I think I experienced it differently than someone who that was their first experience with it. And so I understood that it was going to be difficult, but I didn't really, you know, of course you can't, you can't know. I also will tell you that there is a great African-American population at the college that I went to and they, they are really tightening it in a way that is designed to help students who have been othered whether that was purposely or not purposely. So there was a support system and a network of people who you knew had your back that made the experience at least tolerable as you matriculated through to get your degree. That is how many of us, and that's probably the reason why a lot of us are still really close as fully grown adults who have actualized a life <laughs> and but we still keep in touch because we've had this experience that was bonding for lots of different reasons and some of us of course have married each other and all of that stuff and in the process of all of that we've had to I've had to figure out like who is Natasha like what is she about what is she going to do who is she going to be while navigating a world where again I walked in my very first job out of college. I was young. I was, I don't know, 24. I guess that's right. 24. I walked into, I had, it was, my first job was as a CAD operator. I wasn't even hired as a design engineer, even though I had a full mechanical engineering degree. 
was hired as a CAD operator. CAD is a acronym that stands for computer aided design. So I was in charge of all of the drawing, making sure that all of the part drawings were correct, all of those things, right? I was the youngest one in the room. There was not another woman and I was the only black person. I was the only person of color in this satellite office, as a matter of fact. And it became apparent really quickly. I think I'd had the job for maybe two or three weeks and I was promoted to the head position in that section, in the CAD section, because I knew more. Like I'd I'd had all of these, while I was in college, we'd had to learn CAD software. We'd had to learn 3D software. We'd had to, I mean, before it was like a thing. And so this was a part of our curriculum at the time. And so I knew more than people who had been doing the job for 10, 15 years. And that was evident. And so they they promoted me. You know that didn't go over well, right? <laughs> right. You're the new kid. And and it's like, who is, who is she, by the way? I've been here forever. And why is she getting this promotion? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, it was that. And then it was just, of course, on top of that, it was like, and she's black too. And she's like, black, this, right. <laughs> this, is not, this is not how any of this is supposed to play out. That started me down a pathway where it was, you know, it's almost like you had to, I had, I felt like, I'll just say that because the reality could have been different or could have looked different to someone else. I felt like I had to defend all action and all decisions, everything that I was doing. And of course I had to, I learned very early on how to document stuff how to make sure that, you know, what I said, I said, I really did say in meetings with people, it took on a more hostile environment because I felt like, again, it was, they were trying to prove me wrong. So I had to be, you know, so almost like I had to be stellar at every moment of every day. And it just was so exhausting and so tiring because who is stellar all the time? Well, you were in a situation that essentially had a big bullseye on your back. Yeah. 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 And you could feel that. I mean, it's like, you know, you're under the microscope all of the time. Yeah. And I know that that's not necessarily a unique experience for a Black person or for a woman. I just happen to encompass both of those. (laughs) And so we're in the, the world of STEM where, again, you know, even to this day, it's dominated by white men. It was almost like I was challenging them, only I wasn't, right? I just came in every day and wanted to do the job. That that was it. And there was no, I'm better than you, or at least from my perspective, there was not. I, under, I understood that that was maybe their impression of who they thought I was, and they acted accordingly. And not excusing it, just... I'm a little older now, so I can look back and knowing what I know now, I'm, I get it. I'm not excusing it, but I get it. Mm-hmm. Moved on to the next company, was hired as a design engineer. That was a, I actually worked there. That, uh, that was actually a, a train car part company. You don't necessarily think about there being parts to a train, but there really are. <laughs> so that was my first job out of college. And then I moved into, a, I worked for a car manufacturer, 
software design car parts. So for some of the cars that some folks are, I'm not going to say the, the manufacturer, I assure you some of the, some of the parts on a car, you're probably have probably been designed by me and my, and the team that I worked on. So that was exhilarating and exciting and beyond anything that I had experienced up to that point. But that was when I had that experience and it was totally different from the previous experience where it was like, I felt like I was always on, had to be on. Or this one, it was, they were much more accepting. Of course, there were instances where I was like, mm, why did that happen? I think this could have been a minute, you know, a little bit of, of this. And that's the thing about being the first and only, you don't necessarily know. And there weren't a lot of people at that time for me to to bounce ideas off or like, hey, this thing happened to me and I think this is what it is, but I don't know. There weren't a lot of people who I felt like, even if there were Black people in the company, they weren't engineers, right? So maybe they worked in the marketing department or they were a part of something, another group that wasn't necessarily on the technical side. So their experiences were different than mine. And I didn't know enough to engage with them. I went a long time without having another voice or another person that I felt like could understand what my experience was. It wasn't until I was at maybe the fourth or fifth job that I had where I met another Black woman engineer. And it was life changing to me because I was like, I know we exist. I know we're out there. I need to go and find these people, but I didn't have a clue on how to do that. Even my past, the people who I went to school with, and there were a few of us who were Black women engineers, they weren't mechanical. Two of them were electrical. Many of them were in chemical. So I didn't necessarily see them or they were in, we had this textile engineering course and there were a lot of them there. So I we weren't working in the same circles. So like our conversations were different and I just didn't feel supported. Not to say that I wasn't, I just didn't feel that way. The whole time I'm in the career, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not that special. I don't understand why I'm still the only one. Like why I'm such it's so few of us here. Like I just didn't get it. Cause again, like I understood that I wasn't the smartest. I wasn't the brightest. I wasn't any of those things, but somehow I was standing there doing this job. And I thought, well, if I'm here, there should be more of us. It took me a little while to understand, like there were reasons why I was here. I was there and other people weren't. Like they didn't necessarily have the opportunities I did, or maybe they did and engineering wasn't explained to them. They didn't know what it was or what it was such a multitude of things. But I understood that it's like that had to be a part of my work is that I really, from a really young age and a youngster in the career, I knew and understood that I needed to be about reproducing myself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To be honest, I mean, I've known you for a few months. I know you are extraordinarily accomplished and out there. And I will just offer that there's a a little extra dose of humility in there that you're like, well, why am I, why aren't there more of me? The fact is that what you did is extraordinary. To be a woman engineer is 
still a very unusual thing. And I'm guessing that along the way, even though you had a cohort that sort of had your back, right, which is huge, you have to stick with that for, that's a a multi-year process to get there. And it's not easy. You're right. Well, I mean, you know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it, it wasn't easy. I think back to all night study sessions and just the ridiculousness of that and and learning all of the things you had to learn. You know, what's funny about this is that we're having this conversation is is I was watching an episode of Blackish and I don't know if you've watched it before, but last night, no, I don't know what day it is, whatever day it came on. I was watching it and Rainbow had gotten a, she was, she's the mother in the show and she had gotten a promotion as the first black anesthesiologist at the hospital. And now she was a partner or something like that. Right. And so she was talking to her son's girlfriend and and young black girl who she's like, oh, you're my idol. I really want to be like you. And so Rainbow goes into the story and the story is bad. This is a bad story. This is not a like a, a story <laughs> that's going to inspire anyone to go, want to go into the medical field at all. But Rainbow is sort of glamorizing it in a sense like, and I overcame this and you can too kind of thing, right? But it had me thinking, I wonder if those are the stories that I tell. Right. Like, why would someone listen to these stories and say, yeah, I want to do that. Right. I want to go through all this hardship and I want to go through isolation and I want to climb. I want to climb uphill for four years in a row. Yeah, I get that. (laughs) Yeah, And so I was like, well, you know, I guess we don't really talk about just all of the funny stuff that happened in college and why we're all so close now. It wasn't all because we struggled together. It was because we these people are. Are funny and and they're my friends and we relate on some crazy off the wall things and and the same thing with with the work experience like I've met some incredible women who don't happen to be black or to be people of color that I love and that have been a part of my journey for long periods of time and I take nothing nothing from those relationships other than these are these people really we care about each other. So there's that. And and not only that, but like every experience wasn't a bad experience there. Every growth opportunity is not that something bad happened to you. Even in the triumph, what lessons did you learn? What things can you take away from that? And I don't want that to get lost in all of the other things. Again, I'm not going to lie and tell you it has been all roses and peaches. It has not. But would I go back and redo anything? No. No, I wouldn't. Everything that has happened to me in my life, every situation, both good, bad, the ugly, have happened for my good, for so that my story is complete. You know, it's not complete yet because I'm still here and I'm still living it out. But I feel like the lessons that I've learned and the person that I have become are all because all of those things have happened. And so I can be appreciative of everything, the whole totality of it all, being a woman of color. Like, I don't know what my story would have been if I wasn't, right? So I have to I have to be appreciative of that. And it has, in a full circle kind of way, it sort of brought me, everything that I've gone through has made it really clear to me that 
this is what my purpose is for me to be really intentional and purposeful about making sure that black and brown students in general have more access and equitable access to STEM and STEM opportunities. And specifically within that broad group, making sure that black and brown girls are given the same opportunities that we are we are really focused on or I am really focused on making sure that black and brown girls have opportunities where they can pursue those options whereas before maybe they didn't and so that's how I've sort of turned this thing or not even turned it but like I'm looking at it and I'm seeing okay see I see how all of this plays together in the sandbox <laughs> Finally. <laughs> well, you if I could try to reflect that back to you, the experience that you had, you had a dad who said you can totally do this. Are you sure you want to do this? You so you had some awareness of it through your family that this was even a possibility. And what it sounds to me like you're doing now is making sure that all girls, all girls of color have that same level of awareness that says this is an option that's open to you and you can do it. Yeah. I mean, and that's the truth of the thing. Truth of the matter is, is that try as we might, there's still so many stereotypes and still so many blockades for girls that still exist. Like old time stereotypes, girls can't do this or boys should be doing this and girls can't be this or girls should be these things. And those things still exist. So we're overcoming all of those as well as introducing, like changing the minds of not only little girls, because it happens really young and really quickly, but we also have to change the minds of their parents too. Because even if we're talking to a parent, they're like, yes, I want my kids to be involved in STEM. But then you talk about girls and coding and their face is like, are you sure she can do this? And you're going, wait. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Isn't that an interesting reaction? Yeah. It really is. Are you sure she can do this? Like, are you sure she wants to do this? It's like, yes, of course she wants to do this. I right. mean, if she wants to do this, she should have every opportunity to do it, I guess. That's- and that's, that is it. And so, you know, it's one of those things where I think what I have come to realize is that you, you make space for the opportunities. You cannot make everyone take advantage of them. But I would like it if we had more opportunities for that space, for a larger space, for bigger space, for longer space, whatever we're going to call the space, and then see who takes us up on it. Do our part and then making sure that we're doing the education part for not just the kids. I mean, kids are curious enough to want to try, whether that's a girl or a boy. They're curious enough to say, oh, I think I can do this, right? I mean, I don't know a kid alive who doesn't say at some point, like, okay, I'll try it. And it could be, I don't really like this. And that's fine. But you you put them, you give them the opportunity, they're going to at least try it. But it's, sometimes it's the parents who have this notion, this idea of a thing, of what it is their children can and can't do. And that's the part that we need to change and or educate them about. Because that's the, those limiting beliefs visit our children more often than we think. You did something really brilliant about this because I think you are doing a lot to help both parents and young people 
to normalize things like engineering. And you wrote a book called The Engineering ABC, yes, which I bought <laughs> for my grandkids and they love it. it like I said before, I want to see it in every single home. It just belongs there. And, and what I'm seeing is when you started engineering, when I started in chemistry, anytime you start in a new field, there's a immediate hill to climb, which mm-hmm. is the vocabulary. Mm-hmm. It can be daunting. I mean, I, I can remember so many nights where I had reading to do, where I literally had a dictionary next to me so that I could look up all the words because I had never heard them before, right? I didn't know what I didn't know what I was reading. And to have the head start that comes from something as it seems as simple as an ABC book where we got rid of the barnyard animals <laughs> and we have words in there that are engineering words that somebody's going to encounter in in the everyday world of of engineering is brilliant. Oh, thank you. It not only is for the kids, it's for the parents. Yeah, that's, you know, that is what we call, well, no, I'm not even going to lie about it. So I'll tell you this. This book has been such a gift to me. If you had told me back then that I would write a book, ABC engineering book in later in my life, I probably would have laughed real hard at you, right? I didn't know that this would be this would be a thing. But the opportunity came to me. What's even funnier is is that I had a, I was like I I've got a book in me. I know this, but I didn't know what. I'd written down a couple of ideas of what I thought a book was, you know, and not even not necessarily a children's book, but like and I know you know this cuz you you're a woman in STEM, but sometimes, you know, when we geek out, like we have, we have, the, and I say that lovingly, we have these moments where we can actually start talking in technical terms and we can follow a conversation. So I have these conversations with a, a really good girlfriend of mine. And I was like, wouldn't it be funny if we just sort of wrote a book about a book of like a terminology books where we explain what we're saying, but use like everyday terms. Right. And we laughed about this thing. Right. Because we were like, man, who would buy it? But at the same time, it'd be like, it would be really funny because people think we're saying these, the words may sound weird and unusual, but they have really simple meanings. So this idea is out there between her and I. Right. And I, by out there, that's what I mean. Between her and I, that's exactly where that idea went. <laughs> but I was contacted by a publishing house that says they actually wanted me to write another book to author another book. And I was like, I don't know if I want, I don't know if that one's a good fit. And so I pitched them this idea for kids and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all about it. And of course, then I didn't know what that meant because I've never been contacted by a publishing house before and pitched an idea like right then and it was accepted. I just didn't know what that meant. (laughs) So that's a whole nother subject for a whole nother day. So they jumped on it and I started writing it. Then it was like, okay, well, what are the words, right? So what do I want the words to be? And what am I going to cover all engineering or am I just going to stick with mechanical? Because that's the one I know. And I'm like, no, this is an engineering book. So I've got to cover them all. So when I tell you I went into a deep dive of engineering terminology, all of them, and picked out words that I thought, 
okay. Because of course, the other part of this is like, how do you illustrate some of these words? Because we may know because they're our area, but if I'm talking to a three-year-old or a four-year-old, I have to provide a visual that he or she can understand. So that was the whole other part of this book. And when I finished it, I was I was like, I can't, I don't know if this is going to work, right? You have all the butterflies and all of the like, oh, I don't, maybe this is too hard, right? I'm like, well, the only thing they can say to me at this point is no, right? I mean, I have nothing to lose. I will have learned a lot in the process, so I'm just going to go for it. Every single word and every single passage that I put forth was like, yeah, we're going to do it. 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 Then I started getting the visuals back and we had to go back and forth with the illustrator. So when the book came out, I literally burst into tears. (laughs) And you know me, it's like, oh, she doesn't really cry like this. But I cried real tears because I felt like I put my whole self into this book in a way that I didn't know that I could do. But not only that, but I was like, now we will see if it's going to be accepted. And that's a whole nother thing is for you to pour yourself into something, put it out there in the world and to see if the world says this is good. Right. That moment of truth. It's really, yeah, it's scary. And, but see, that's the thing. It was scary, but I was like, okay, well, I'm doing, you know, like, again, what do I have to lose? Right. I'm a published author at this point. It'll be what it is. And this book has gone places and I just am so blessed by it. So my pastor said something a couple Sundays ago that I was like, this is, this is the book is he's, he's, he made this analogy where he's talking about where you're thinking that God's going to bless this area. You got it going. It's going well. Maybe it's your business, right? He, You think that God's going to bless you over here and doing that. But he was like, no, nah, it's not that. It's this. And that's exactly how I feel about this book because I had zero, no expectations, or at least I won't say zero, but there weren't a lot of expectations for this book, Right. Because I again, I've never marketed a book, have never published a book, didn't understand all of the process that was involved in in that whole thing, right? So I was like, I'm going to do the best I can do. I'm not looking to become rich or famous off of this book, right? That's not. It gets into the hands of. I want to get it into the the hands of as many kids as I can possibly do that. So. I'm joining Facebook groups and advertising <laughs> in Facebook groups and I'm putting it out on, you know, wherever I can put it out on. I'm doing all the things I know to do. So I'm like, okay, it's going to be what it is. But what has happened, Karen, this has been so far beyond anything that I could have planned myself. It has gone places and it has landed in the hands of people who are like, I love this book. It needs to be in the hands of kids everywhere and has taken it places. Like it's, I mean, I've got a woman who bought a classroom set in North Carolina just this week. I've got another woman who bought, I say woman, but she owns an after school program or she runs an after school program and she's like, I need this for all my students. So things like this are happening all the time with this book. And I'm shocked and amazed and internally blessed because again, this isn't about Natasha Anderson. It's not about me. It's getting this book into the hands of these kids. 
Because again, I always say when I'm ever, when I'm talking about the book, I'm like, you know, we give our kids cell phones at two, right? They're, they're learning how to push the button, push an app and do all this other stuff. Well, why can't we give them the terminology that's involved in that, right? Why can't they learn what an aqueduct is? Why can't they learn what a beam is in a real sense? You know, why can't they do that? While we're teaching them their ABCs, they already have vocabulary. A lot of kids are talking before they really know what, you know, the letters of the words that they're saying. So we can inform them about this letter is attached to this is what aqueduct is for A or A is for aqueduct. However you want to do that, like what an aqueduct does and all those things. Yeah, let's be about that. This is just one of those things where when I I look at how the path that we take in our lifetime takes us to a place that we would have never imagined in a million years. But if I could just kind of summarize it, you chose mechanical engineering as a teenager. You went in and got your degree in mechanical engineering. You worked as a mechanical engineer. You, then you went and got your PhD in education. Yes? Yes. Yes. Now you've got the mechanical engineering background, the engineering know-how. You've got this background in education and how to make your dream happen of getting so many, making this accessible to so many other kids. And you come up with this brilliant book, which by the way, is on Amazon. And if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can read it for free. Right. It's a very reasonably priced paperback. I can't even describe to you how beautiful it is. It's got these gorgeous illustrations in it. My two-year-old, I have a two-year-old, a three-year-old and a six-year-old, two six-year-olds, grandchildren who love this book. <laughs> love that. And to the idea that can a toddler say aqueduct, the answer is yes. And he has an idea at least of that this involves water, right? Yes. This is never going to be one of those words where he's going to get into a classroom and the word aqueduct is going to come up. And like his, unlike his grandmother, who had to have a dictionary to look up everything, <laughs> he's going to already know. Right. It's like such an advantage to have the vocabulary, the fact that they don't, they can't explain the technical background of an aqueduct yet is irrelevant. Right. What you've done is you've that. you've normalized the education. You've normalized the vocabulary, which is such an enormous hill to climb anytime you start something new. Oh. And to watch and you, oh my gosh, you just got to see his face. I'm going to make you a video of it and send it to you. Because, <laughs> Please do. I love them. I love he's them. So pleased with himself when you know he says these big long words. And of course, they have a heavy toddler accent, right. but I know what he's saying, and he is so delighted. I love that. And I, so here's the thing, is that some people who bought the book have contacted me on Facebook, and they've sent me pictures of their toddler, or their baby reading the book. They, I love them all. I love them all. So please keep sending them. <laughs> Because I just, it brings me such joy because I know at that point, that to me is successful. That means that I've been successful, that my mission with the book has been accomplished. And so it just, I laugh and I giggle and I get tears and it just the little small piece of joy for 
for me to see it. So yes, send me, send me, send them to Very cool. I will. I totally will. And and so let me ask you this question. First, first of all, everybody go out to Amazon and get this book. And I would say gift it to as many families as you can who have small children, because this belongs while it belongs in, in schools and daycares and everywhere else, it belongs in every home. Every home needs to have these. This is how we are going to break down the barriers so the kids know that this is a possibility for yes, them. And, absolutely. And that they have the leg up that when the t- the time comes for them to discuss an aqueduct, they actually know what that is. And yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's mm-hmm. a huge, that's a great feeling to be the first kid in your class to know how to talk about an aqueduct, you know? Yeah. And we, and, you know, when we go back, like when you go back, you, you know, you remember what that feeling was like when it was yes. you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I do. I do. And I also remember how it was, how I struggled when it wasn't me. Right. 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 So such an important thing. I've put my through, myself through this multiple times because I did it for chemistry. I did it for molecular biology. And then I did it for theology and computer science. So like every single time I had a new vocabulary to learn. And that's a part, you know, to me, that's one of the parts of STEM and engineering that we don't talk about a lot. It's like, there's a language attached to it. It's just like learning Spanish, right? Spanish or French or Japanese or whatever else your language you're learning. You have to learn how to speak the language. That's a part of it that, but I think it's a part that we don't talk about a lot. Well, that's, you've just made that easy for a whole bunch of kids. So that's cool. So I have to ask you, what's next for you? What's next? What's next for me? Well, glad you're asking. Um, Right now, doing a lot of speaking at places, talking about, um, you know, my experience, but how that's parlayed in to work for me, which I do a lot of consulting work. So if you are in the education space and you're looking to get into STEM, but you don't know how to go about it, or you want to make sure that you're reaching all, you know, a larger audience, or maybe a smaller audience. Or you want to do just girls, or you want to do just boys. I'm your girl. Contact me. You can go to my website. It's drtasha.com. Tasha is spelled T-O-S-H-I-A. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm also writing. My next book is on the way. Hopefully by the end part of this year, if not sooner, you'll get to know the Nerdy STEM Princesses. Oh, fun. Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) And their adventures. And so I'm super excited about this book or these books. It's just, you know, it's like one of those things where I feel like this is what it is I'm supposed to be doing it. And the time that I'm supposed to be doing it in. So I know that I'm I'm working from a place where this is my true calling and my authentic self is being allowed to show. So I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can do it. So that's what's up with me. I'm doing the show on Saturdays with you and, and two other amazing professional women in STEM, all steamed up with Mocha and Foam on Saturdays at 11. And so... This is a pretty good life <laughs> right now. I'm not complaining. Yeah, no, I agree. I love, well, you know, we're kindred spirits turning around. I think the thing that you and I have shared in common so much is we turn around to the younger generation, of young professional women and young girls 
We want them to have unlimited possibilities. And we say, look, I did this. You can do this. Yes. And be that role model that says, if you need somebody to see, then look at me because I'm here to tell you that this is possible. And I just love that, you know, I, I've kind of extended my reach into the, you know, early career young women in the tech field. You went all the way down to toddlers. Girl, <laughs> like, yeah. well, you just, is- you're basically telling a whole generation of little children, you can do this because guess what? You got the vocabulary. You know what these words mean. You can go out and be this. Yeah. You know, th- Yes. Thank you for that. So the thing is, is that I think this is one of those areas that we, we've overlooked for some time. The smallest among us, they're the most open to learning new things. Yeah. So the sooner we get them involved, like STEM should be a part of their everyday life in some capacity, whether that's science and engineering or technology and math or however we want to pair those two, you know, those things together. I mean, if we keep doing that, by the time they're 18 or 16 or 15 or 14, it's it's not a thing. You know what I mean? It's not a, it's not going to be a thing for them because the, it's a part of their everyday life. And that's the hope. Yeah, that's the hope for all for every kid, every single kid. So if we can do that. Then if we're still talking about a dearth of STEM jobs in general, <laughs> then we have bigger problems. Well, here's what I see happening is there there's someday there's going to be the young scientist, the young engineer who has come up with a way to address any of the number of issues that we're seeing emerging in our world today, global warming, pollution in the ocean, whatever that might be. And they're going to say, yeah, I remember my very first book. It was Engineering ABC. <laughs> I would, see, oh gosh, that's, really what, that's what you're doing for the planet, my friend. Oh gosh, that's, that's a moment. Ooh, that's yeah. a moment. Oof. That's a moment. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> we should I'll live long it. enough to see it happen. But I think that's, I well, that's what you've just done. You've made this possible. I just admire you for it so much. And I can't wait to send you a video of, my little guy saying things like aqueduct and crane <laughs> and dam and all the other things that dam as in a giant wall, a giant wall that holds back water. Right. <laughs> but there's just so many cool things in here. So you have done something that I think has such enormous potential and it's going to, we're going to see how big that potential really is, but it might take us. I know that another decade and or so, but yeah, it's going to be so cool to see uh, the impact. Yes. Uh, yeah. Don't yeah. have me crying on the show. I don't want to today. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I just out of everything that I've done, this one means more. Yeah, it's very meaningful. Congratulations. You know, the book came out. I just have to tell you again, the book came out in November, mm-hmm. something like that. And it's like collecting five star reviews like crazy. Congratulations. Well, well done. I'm so excited. And um, <laughs> Thank you. yeah. Thank you. 
And I'll see you. I'll see you on the show, I guess, in a couple of weeks. I won't be there this week, but please, everybody, go ahead and and listen to these women on All Steamed Up with Mocha and Foam. Watch for STEM princesses. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't either. Nerdy, nerdy STEM princesses. I want to. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they they are very cute. They are very mm. very cute and. Anyway, yes. So just be on the uh, lookout for them and please come and, and join us on the show and just look me up. Look me up on social media. Look me up. Uh, come look up my website, social media. It's Dr. Tasha everywhere. <laughs> keep it simple. Let's keep doing what we're doing in the name of STEM and getting more of our kids into STEM and to make sure that our workforce is well prepared to carry the mental on. Yeah. Solve the hard problems. Yeah. All right. Hey, thank you, my friend. So great to talk with you. Thanks for being here. Yes. Thanks for the ask. I'm always honored when I get asked to to be a guest or to be a part of someone else's platform. So thank you for the opportunity. You're most welcome. That's it for today's show. Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast is part of the ecosystem of knowledge sharing and affordable group coaching to help reverse the trend of women leaving tech and to help diverse women in male-dominated industries get the visibility, opportunities, and compensation they deserve. Be sure to check out our five-day challenge by visiting us online at createyourleadingedge.com. Like what you hear? Subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you listen to the show. We'll be back again next week. Be well, stay strong, and remember, be an ally.